that piece is is super important because what it tells a consumer is is they're not trying to live in la la land or they're not trying to sort of hide under the covers until the storm passes by they are where they're well aware of what's what's going on and um and that that sort of from the consumer standpoint is like the first layer of like trust building into this new phase of of what you're going to be doing You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. The launch of an event or piece of your business has always had several key elements in order to make it successful. This is needed whether it is an internal company-wide event or an external conference open to others in your industry. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Employers and business owners are having to think about how these are going to happen, especially when we have remote workforces, virtual events, CDC and OSHA guidelines, mask orders, social distancing and other new parts to configure. Yet the celebration of these events and company launches do not stop because we are in a pandemic. Companies know the economy needs to move forward and figuring out how to do things differently is a challenge. Companies are thinking of how to make employees and participants feel safe and still have a successful launch or event, or how can we implement these safety protocols and messaging. Today, my guest is both a friend and fellow entrepreneur, Pierre Castillo. Pierre is the owner of Topstar Group, parent company of Topstar Marketing and Topstar Events and Entertainment. Topstar currently works with select Chick-fil-A locations in Houston, as well as companies like Typhoon Texas Water Park and South Shore Harbor Resort and Conference Center. Pierre's event production company is also the proud producer of LeaderCast Bay Area Houston, the world's largest one-day leadership event, and the Bay Area Houston Women's Conference. His mission is to build remarkable brands and give back to the community. Pierre enjoys spending quality time with his family and listening to Latin tropical music or enjoying good sushi with friends when he's not busy working on all these different ventures. Since my topic is the party never ends, I wanted to tap into Pierre's creative knowledge on this issue and how he's been working with his clients on these various parts of launching or developing an event. We had a thought provoking chat. So I hope you enjoyed this Legal Skinny episode, The Party Never Ends. Welcome to the Legal Skinny podcast, Pierre. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Trisha. Thank you so much for having me. So tell my listeners a little bit about what your business is. Um, so I am from the uh, Barry Houston area. I uh, grew up in LaPorte and I live in Deer Park, but um, I built kind of most of my business um, around this this part of town. I absolutely love it. Um, I have been in the event and marketing space for a little bit over 15 years, and nine of that has been as an entrepreneur having my own uh, marketing agency and event production company. And uh, we're actually in the middle of launching a uh, brand new project um, getting into the retail side of, of of party planning and events and stuff. And so we're kind of excited about that and um, real busy, but I'm really excited to get to spend some time with you today. 
Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause that's actually, it's, you're very timely that I'm having you on right now because I want to talk about um, businesses and uh, employers launching and events right now, especially during COVID-19 and what traditionally, you know, you would advise and how clients to do it. And then the transition and here you are right in the middle of a launch. And it's just great that I'm getting you for an interview. Yeah. So um, we, um, you're 100% right. Things are, are shifting and moving in terms of, um, you know, how, how we adapt and, and pivot, you know, our businesses and our strategies so that, you know, we can stay relevant and we can survive and, and, and be able to continue. Um, so, you know, the, the, the retail expansion for us as a company was kind of in our strategic plan that we made back in 2017. Um, it was called Top Star 2020, a clear vision for success. And um, in there, in that strategic plan, we had three sort of special projects or things that, you know, as me as the owner, I have these like crazy dreams that happen overnight. And then like I show up to my staff the next day and I'm like, guys, like this is what we need to do. Like we do events, we're marketing events, we're helping clients market their events. We need to come up with a way to sell the supplies that these people are using for the event so we can like, you know, make some more money or whatever. And so they're like, oh my gosh, Pierre, where do you come up with these things? So then a couple of months go by and I show up at the next meeting and I'm like, you know what? We're doing events. We need to eventually have our own event center. And so anyway, um, a couple of years ago, we decided to open up um, um, uh, infrastructure to build an advisory board because of all my crazy ideas. We wanted to kind of figure out a way to sort of rein that in and sit down with folks that sort of specialize in their area that can, you know, help me see like blind spots and ways to sort of look at, you know, doing things intention or with intention and also build out a strategic plan that would allow us to kind of stay within our lane, but also be able to kind of build a vision of, hey, what do we want to do, you know, next year? And what do we want to do, you know, in five years from now? What, what do we think our, you know, our, our brand and our company looks like? And so, um, but yes, to your point, one of those special projects within that strategic plan was this idea of building out a retail operation or a, a party store um, that would allow us to kind of expand um, our, our, our business. And so um, it originally was supposed to launch last year, um, but then, you know what they, what, what's the saying? Like, if you wanna make God laugh, tell me your plans, you know? And so that's the interesting <laughs> thing about strategic plans for me is, is that great and they're super valuable. They've been very valuable for me and helping to grow my business. Um, but you better believe 100% that it's not gonna necessarily pan out the way that, that you plan, particularly when you're looking at something that's, two, three, four years out, you know? So when we were in the 2016, 2017 time period that we implemented the, our advisory board and we built out this 2020 plan, we obviously had no idea COVID was coming. <laughs> we, had, we had no idea that a lot of things were gonna happen along the way. And so, um, you know, at the end of 2019, we were like, okay, 2020 is gonna be the year that we launch um, this retail operation. And we were in the process of working with the consulting company that was going to help us with all of that. And uh, we started making some headway in January. And I think it was just a month or two after that, that, that COVID, you know, sort of hit. And so that completely threw a wrench. Um, but I will say that kind of the biggest, you know, silver lining in all of that was that we sort of had a plan for what we, what we wanted to, to do with that project. But then when Corona came, we also then had to figure out how to how to pivot and, and rethink, you know, like, do we really want to do this? And if we do, what is it going to look like when we do decide to deploy this project? And so that took us a good four to five months um, because this this COVID thing has been kind of a, a, a brand new um, thing for everybody on, 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 on planet Earth. And so <laughs> we've been trying to figure out, like, OK, what's next and at what point of you know, uh, what point in this process do we decide to try to take a leap of faith and say, let's move forward with our plans. And so that's kind of where you're catching me now is that, you know, you know, COVID came sort of in, in, in late in early March, and then that was March, April, June, July. And so it took us three, four months to figure out what kind of the strategy and the pivot and the, and the plan forward was going to be. And then the end of July, I said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to plant my flag and I'm going to move forward with it and I'm going to figure out a way to make this happen. And so here we are in the midst of all that long winded <laughs> answer. But here we are. 
<laughs> I, that's interesting to me that you have these, uh, you know, these strategic plans. It sounds to me like you're pretty open with your team about what the plan is and then the planning process. And of course, you know, while they may not be entrepreneurs themselves, you know, they're watching you go through this and sort of you have a plan. And obviously the plan has been ha needed to be adjusted, I guess, you know, um, right. certainly, uh, you know, the 800 pound grill in the room is that events and launches, you know, have changed now due to the pandemic. I have a lot, a lot of friends and I know you do uh, with businesses that are in the sort of entertainment or, um, you know, restaurant type business um, uh, and bars. And, and it's just a change now of now these sort of spaces where you would normally go to to sort of launch things. Uh, it's just everything's different now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so you know the one of the interesting things about sort of the makeup or the infrastructure of, of our business is that um, on the marketing agency side, so we actually have Top Star Marketing, the agency side that's really a B two B type of operation, right? Where we're, where we're talking to other businesses and helping them to to, to brand themselves and create a good um, brand image. And our tagline is Brands Endeared, um, and you know, and our mission is is how can we make your brand an endearing brand so that it, so that it lasts forever. And so um, on the event production side, which is sort of a, a separate part of the business, the top star events and entertainment, that's where we typically will end up dealing on a more of the B2C side, the consumer side. And, um, you know, on the, on, on, for, for events, we produce some events in-house that we do ourselves, like the Barry Houston Women's Conference, um, which is an event that, you know, we've, we've done for three years and now going on our fourth year of doing it and it's grown year after year. And so, um, but the nice thing is, is when we're, when we're dealing with a client where we're helping them produce an event, we aren't just sort of telling them all these theories and things about what they should be doing. We, on the other hand, are also doing our in-house events where we're sort of kind of walking the talk, if you will. And um, that's kind of been an important piece of kind of the, the DNA of how we've evolved our business is being able to go to somebody and say like, we're not just gonna be consultants that are gonna be telling you what to do, but in reference to that, we're also gonna be showing you that the stuff we're telling you to do is also the same exact things that we're doing for our in-house events. So it plays for a really great balance in terms of you know, establishing that credibility for your clients in terms of like, okay, now COVID is here and now we've got to figure out what to do moving forward. Um, and we've sort of spent a lot, you know, a good amount of time talking with our team about what we're going to do about our stuff before we go and kind of, you know, like they say, like, you don't want to be the, the darkness of your home um, and the light in the street and darkness of your home, you know, like telling all these people how to do all that stuff. And they're like, wait, what? You, your stuff is falling apart. And so um, that's been kind <laughs> of an interesting layer to how we built and, you know, the, the infrastructure of our business to say like, hey, make sure that what we're saying is also something that we're willing to stand by because we're doing it ourselves. That's interesting. So you've, you've, you're trying to figure out protocols. You're trying to figure out the safety stuff. You're looking at the CDC. You're looking at, right. you know, Governor Abbott's orders and you right. know, local orders and going, okay, how many people can we have if we try to do this in person? How, how do we determine like, um, you know, we dealing, dealing with, you know, different types of messaging. And um, is, is that something that you openly talk to your employees and team with? Yeah, so within our team, I think that's kind of sort of where it starts, right? Like we we sort of kind of, you know, do have this communication strategy that we call kind of the inside out strategy, which is we we start with within our internal folks, you know, certainly with my management team first, um, and you know, to to talk through like what is it that I think we can begin to start talking about in terms of our own stuff, and then what is it that we can begin to communicate with our clients about what they should be doing with their brands or with their operations? Um, and do we feel confident about doing that? Um, and then once we once we sort of feel good about that, then we can say, now let's go to the next layer, which is maybe our the rest of our employees or our contractors that are doing work for us and um, talk to them about what we think this next phase of, of, of recovery or getting through this, this pandemic is gonna look like. Um, so that we can enlist them and get them on board so that as we're talking to a client, an external, 
um, an outside client that they're getting kind of the same unique, uh, you know, cohesive message about what, what Topspar is doing. Um, but so I'll give you an example. We, um, you know, so COVID came right before Easter. It was like literally like a month before Easter. And so on the event in, uh, in entertainment side for us, we are used to doing having, we have two Easter bunnies that um, typically go out and get, you know, they get booked to go all over the place, go to real estate offices, do photo booths. We've been out at Kima Boardwalk, at Pleasure Pier, um, working with some really great clients on activating the Easter Bunny and egg hunts and managing those events and how do we make those events come alive for people. And so um, working with all kinds of different companies on doing that. And so Easter is a pretty busy season for us, um, uh, you know, internally because we're, we're working through all those events. And so when when Easter was around the corner, we basically, the first thing that happened was we got a bunch of cancellations because we had, you know, Easter events and the Easter Bunny booked that all these things at which they were not going to happen. And so, um, you know, it took me a while, maybe a little bit longer, but at the same time, we had to figure out what we wanted to do and where we sort of landed is, let's get creative and figure out how we can still activate the Easter bunny in a world where people are kind of just freaking out about like, I, we, we have to be in home quarantine and, and we can't really go out anywhere. And so we deployed this, um, window side Easter bunny visits that we did. Um, we used uh, sign up genius, which is a pretty popular, um, uh, sure. software, uh, 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 program that you can go in and sign up stuff. And typically like, you know, your, your, your average or typical mom that's doing stuff for their local PTA or in their schools, they're, they're familiar with Sign Up Genius. And so we decided to build this campaign around, um, hey, let's set a certain parameter of like near where we are, you know, so Deer Park, Laporte, League City, kind of the Barry Houston area and, and figure out how we can, how we can have the Easter Bunny come to people's homes and do a window side, no contact. Um, they wouldn't be able to touch the Easter Bunny, but the Easter Bunny would be able to come maybe set some eggs down, drop off a little goodie basket and just kind of be able to have a little bit of that Easter celebration piece that, you know, the, the, the kids don't really understand the global pandemic. I mean, heck, sometimes we don't really understand how to, how to deal with it, <laughs> let alone explaining that to kids. And so right. um, anyway, we decided to kind of sort of pivot and, and, and activate that piece. Um, we completely sold out within a couple of days. Um, <laughs> and I have to add that we ended up getting up news coverage on Fox 26 and they came out and did an interview and, and showcased and our phones were ringing off the hook and they were calling our team and trying to book and um, it not, not necessarily the way I thought it was going to turn out, <laughs> but in a good way. And it was just kind of one of the, the first sort of iterations of like, how do we pivot our, our business and create a strategy that um, stays within the CDC and the local governing authorities guidelines, um, but allows us to sort of kind of maintain that 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 endearing essence of, of, of what we want to be as a company. I love that. And and just I know we're not really a kid show, although we're, we're PG friendly and family friendly. Um, if there's any kids listening, Pierre just happens to have a very good in with the Easter Bunny. And that's how he's able to make this happen. Is that right, Pierre? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> It's so good that it's just we get we get not just the Easter Bunny but the twin of the Easter Bunny, and so I mean this yeah yeah we have we have the right ends. You're 100 percent right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so I, I I love all of that. That's very interesting. I don't know how I missed that you were doing that. And I did see the Easter Bunny on your website, and so um, I'll have to tune in on 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 what's going to be happening with the Easter Bunny and everything you guys have going on with that. I'm sure I'm sure Easter will never be the same for y'all after going through that. Well, yeah, and you know the interesting thing is is you know now um as we're thinking about you know the upcoming holidays um you know and there's this big talk about you know what's going to happen with trick-or-treat and what are local you know authorities going to say regarding that um and then you know things like santa claus and you know do, do we go to the local mall and get our pictures with santa claus and these are these are things that you know the the sometimes whether it's the cdc or the local governing authorities they just they simply don't have a clear directive for that and so then it becomes, a, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, an exercise of, of, of each company, whether it's a small business or it's a local mall or it's, um, uh, uh, you know, an, an event or a company that does a lot of events. 
um, to sort of have that conversation within their team and their leadership to be able to figure out like how is it that we how is it that we adapt to this situation that we're living in um, and so that's kind of really for us on the agency slash consulting side where we kind of come in with you know uh, you know me and my team and and have try to try to help those brands walk through that conversation um, regarding you know what's feasible what's not and and I think probably the most important thing is what are what are the optics of what I'm doing um, and that's probably sometimes an overlooked piece of of when you know whether it's a local restaurant or it's somebody that's trying to say like I just need to figure out a way to survive so that I can continue to bring cash in and also pay my people um, and sometimes sort of skip through the optics of what they're doing and and from a long you know uh, big picture perspective what it ultimately says about you as a brand that you know whether it's that you're just in it for the money or that you're being irresponsible or for whatever it is people sometimes don't necessarily pick up your intention the way you mean it um and you know that happens in our in our in our friendships and our relationships but um i think what people don't realize is that it happens within the kind of the, the brand relation the relationships that people have with brands that happens as well and this has been just kind of a a, a stage to, to to look at all these opportunities where brands are doing stuff and um and and it sort of maybe looks great in, on paper but you know, when you actually begin deploying it, it, it doesn't always necessarily have the effect that you want. I think that that you're so right. And that's why I think, you know, a third party perspective, um, you know, from the consultant piece, like what you do is so useful, because it really does, you don't have a, you know, the skin in the game as far as going, hey, that's, that may come off like this, or this may come off like that. And, and that's, right. that, that's such a big piece of it, too. Because sometimes, you know, uh, with messaging, I th feel like you can't be thoughtful more. Um, there isn't a more um, uh, bigger time that I've been alive where messaging is needs to be thoughtful, like sort of right. everything that's going on, you know, uh, understanding there are many, many different circumstances, um, just looking at schools from the teacher's perspective to the parents, to the kids, to the you know school districts, to the all the local authorities trying to figure out and state and federal what's the right thing to do. There are so many opinions, unions, and everything, um, and just you know different types of messaging with every and that's just one little tiny piece of this whole pandemic versus all the right. other many things going on. So obviously, and this kind of leads into uh, I named this episode the party never ends. Uh, so besides fact, <laughs> of course. <laughs> that I love Robert Earl Keane's the song, uh, The Road Goes On Forever, because, you know, life is not stopping because of COVID-19. Uh, grandmas are turning 90. Kids are still graduating. You know, we've got people still getting married. Businesses are still launching. We've got new products, you know, new companies uh, or companies rebranding as to what they're going to look like, because, um, you know, there have been opportunities that have certainly come out of um, this situation, as well as, um, you know, industries changing. And so, you know, very different interaction with, you know, the workforce and all the things that are going along with this. So as businesses and employers move forward, let's say they want to launch a new product or host an event, either they want to host an event for a client or they want to host an event for their own company how should they sort of move forward with that? And, and you kind of talked a little bit about how you start with the internal team and then you work with the subcontractors and contractors for a consistent message. But um, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea. Like if I had like this, uh, I have this fancy lipstick and I would like to launch it, Pierre, like I would have no idea where to start. I'd be like, uh, well, maybe take a picture and put that up on Instagram. Like I'm not into a sort of mindset where I'm thinking about how to launch a product. And uh, so can you kind of, Give us a little sneak peek on how that works and and what it looks like today. So you know the the kind of the the high level um, uh, pointers that we've been talking a lot within ourselves, but then also um, that we've been talking with our our clients has been uh, it it almost kind of feels like a like a three step process in which you you first have to um, you have to lead with this sense of acknowledgement. Um, and, and what I mean by that is you, you've got to speak as, as, as a brand to your consumers that you're hundred percent aware of what's, what's happening. Um, and, and, and the sort of the, the big 
kind of goal there is to never, from the optics perspective, you never want to come off across tone deaf, right? You know, you don't want to come across like um, that you that you don't think this is serious or that you think that this is not um, that the, whether it's affecting you significantly or not. Um, you simply just want to create. Um, uh, you want to establish a sense of you understand as a brand that um, that COVID is here and that it is affecting us all in different capacities and that um, your 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 you know your your first layer of, um, of of filters that you use is the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic before you think about anything else before you think about opening the doors before you're thinking about whether it's you know your menus or the way that people can register or your refund policy for your events or any of those things you're thinking you're acknowledging the fact you know so i always say like that, that the first phase of this is just we've got to we've got to acknowledge it and um and and then figure out kind of the internal pieces that need to be modified so that this acknowledgement basically becomes external as well whether it's you communicate on social media or you put out you know some sort of short you know little uh, uh, um, tidbit on your website um, or you create a video or you do a youtube and you're like hey guys i'm the owner of you know joe's you know donut shop and you know we've been closed for the last you know three and a half weeks trying to figure out um, you know, how we can be ready to serve our guests during the middle of this crisis, we, you know, and so that that piece is is super important because what it tells a consumer is, is they're not trying to live in la la land or they're not trying to sort of hide under the covers until the storm passes by. They are where they're well aware of what's what's going on. And um, and that that sort of from the consumer standpoint is like the first layer of like, trust building into this new phase of, of what you're going to be doing. Um, so that's kind of the first piece. The second piece is um, deals kind of more specifically with the communication aspect of of kind of building this this almost this calendar or this rhythm of, um, you know, how do I communicate? What channels do I need to use to let folks know um, what it is that we're going to be doing, how it is that we're going to be operating moving forward? And um, and then you know the, the the third piece is that it sort of comes back circle in that you're constantly uh, sort of evaluating and 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 reaching out and trying to have conversations with your consumers about um, what you can you know do differently or what you can do better so that you can stay connected and relevant with them um, you know and, and and some of that you know there's words in there that you may be like oh staying relevant i don't know you're getting too much into like kind of you know marketing lingo and I'm, and so partly that's kind of why we have the work that we that we have but but really always tell people um whether you're hiring us or not it you know it, it it's not don't don't get intimidated by the by the, maybe the fanciness of the word but really just sort of you know think through the 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 piece of that you've got to acknowledge what's going on then you've got to communicate it and then you've got to you've got to be in touch with your people to see what that communication and what those processes what the optics of it are so that you can go back to step one and acknowledge your new reality and that's kind of the the big key you know thing here is is that the level of uncertainty that we have with um uh before covid was sort of a lot lower than the level of uncertainty that we have now because of COVID. And that affects everything. It affects the education sector, it affects businesses, it affects our day-to-day -day lives. It Everything on planet Earth has gone from a high level of uncertainty to a super low level, or a, high, a, much, a very high level of uncertainty to a very low level of certainty. We don't really know what's gonna happen next week. And you know there was a time probably in April and May where that was even higher than it is now. You know I think it's it's sort of slowly course correcting, and we're learning to adapt and figure things out between us as consumers, brands, businesses, local um, government, you know countries. But um, but you know that level of I think back to like April and May, and and it was it was rough. You literally were sort of operating on a day-to-day -day basis because you know it was like thursday 
and you would see on the news like the governor's gonna have a press conference tomorrow and you had no idea what he was gonna what he was gonna say yeah but he got on at eight in the morning and said at 12 all the bars are closing and yeah. so that is that's very unprecedented you know that's a very that's not something that we're used to dealing with and so when you think about as a business as a brand how you digest that how whether if you're a bar and you just got shut down by the governing authority yeah you then go through the process of acknowledging it communicating it and reaching out to your to your consumers to figure out if you're doing the right thing or not or what the optics of of, of that situation is adding to the layer of actually executing your business you know and figuring out what you're going to do with your staff and people that potentially get sick and and so i i think that was man i i I, I like to say, if you made it through April and May, like my gosh, like we're we're like warriors on the other side of that, and it's certainly not over, and we've certainly got our work cut out for us. But um, I, I sort of think, and and some people may disagree, but I sort of think that was kind of the the toughest part of it when when we were sort of in this day to day to day to day, because literally something that you heard today could be. You know, you were told A today and the next day the mayor was on saying something completely different. And then the governor was telling you something completely different. And then and then this thing was closing and this was open and, and then social distancing. And so it was just it was just a lot for I think us in general to to digest. And um and, you know, and, and I think overall now we're in a place where we have maybe a little bit more um leeway to be able to go through that process of acknowledging what's happening, creating a messaging strategy to communicate that, and then figuring out how you um, sort of, you know, tweak and, and, and figure out if what you're doing is, is best for your consumers or not. Yeah, I think that the, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, this uncertainty you're talking about, because, uh, you know, of course, I'm talking to businesses in many different industries. And, you know, a lot of them were frustrated to find out that maybe while they felt they were essential, the government had not deemed them essential. And all of a sudden, you know, they were needing to, you know, completely shut down, you mm -hmm. know, huge pieces of medical, the medical community uh, that weren't doing um, what they considered essential procedures. And that was, you know, uh, frustrating. And, you know, uh, you know, all of this has been sort of very distracting to um, any sort of goals you might have had um, as a business here in 2020, where you're really in a survival mode, like you're talking about on this day, -day right. thing. And I think for me, I've had, um, you know, I, I kept having clients be, you know, uh, or uh, other business owner friends and uh, people thinking, well, maybe in the summer it'll be better, or maybe in the fall it'll be better. And some of them, have, I think, have just concluded and said, well, you know, it's it'll be great in 2021. Like they've just decided somehow COVID's going to get a text <laughs> message, like a text message that this is all going to be over in December 31st, 2020, and 2021 is going to be uh, a, a brand new day. And so um, obviously we don't um, have a at crystal ball, we can't figure all that out. I do think that maybe whatever, you know, is it Time Magazine or whoever that picks the word of the year, they're gonna either pick like the new normal or pivot, because those are probably like the words I've heard the most. And one thing that businesses can count on is that they can't really know what is, you know, coming next. So I, I think it's interesting that you're telling me that if they're gonna be planning for something, they gotta figure out the message if I'm getting this right here, you can correct me, but that they can't, they can't really figure out what their real new message is right now, if they don't actually know what the heck is going on with their consumer group. So if your target market is 20 to 30 year olds, that's very different than what's maybe going on with, you know, uh, 50 to 70 year olds right now. So right. Um, figuring out how, what's going on with them and how to like, be sincere in the message that you're bringing before you get to the optics of uh, what kind of food are you, are you going to have an in? I mean, if your whole market is older generational people that um, have been deemed by the CDC to be more vulnerable right now um, to COVID-19, then, you know, an in-person, you know, event may not make sense uh, for your market. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the big thing I would say is that, um, business owners or maybe businesses in general sometimes um, spend a lot of time focused on the makeup of the sale versus on the makeup of the consumer. 
And, um, and, and what COVID has done is kind of forced our hand to, to sort of shift that, right? And, and, and because the, gover the, the government or the governing authorities have kind of, they've made, they've made the terms of the makeup of the sale. In other words, you know, only 25% capacity. These businesses can't be open. You have to be six feet apart. You have to wear masks and kind of the transactional piece um, but the consumers themselves, um, which sometimes businesses, they 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 say they're they're interested in what the makeup of the consumer is, but as a business owner, you're really sort of more interested in the makeup of the business and the infrastructure and what is it going to take to create the sale um, versus the makeup of the consumer. And so when you talk about the generational aspect of it, you know, there's a there's a huge there's a huge difference in between the 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 way that an older demographic is gonna is gonna um, uh, sort of digest the situation and therefore consume you know their their dollars versus the younger generation um, and and so that's a that's a piece that's I, that plays a, a, a huge role in in what you decide to do and so then you're not so much focused on the sale the transaction piece but now you're focused on well, heck, I, I got to look at every 10 customers that come in. How many of those are the on the older end, on the younger end? How many of those are families, um, multi-people, you know, units? Or is it families? Or is it just one person? Is it working professionals? Is it people that have been um, uh, laid off? Is it the frontline workers that... Um, I, I, I guess I guess my, my, my consumers were frontline workers, but that wasn't really a thing up until COVID, you know, it was like, we, we saluted our veterans on veterans day and we mourned for our, 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 our um, armed forces on Memorial day. And you had these like buckets where, where you dedicate certain allegiances or, or, or salutes to, you know, these, these special populations. Um, but now those things really play into the kind of the way that your business is going to be, is is going to be um, the way that people are going to consume your business, and so that that's another you know sort of a, a big area, a big segment for um, conversations to be had that maybe just haven't had, weren't happening before. Yeah, and I definitely think the demographic age groups are 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 maybe viewing COVID nineteen differently. Certainly, I I've seen some. Um, and um, I'm not ashamed to say that I'm in my early 40s, and and like uh, the uh, oh, you're so young for sure. <laughs> that like uh, some some um, conversations I've had with 90 year olds, they kind of are like, we've like lived through all of this. Like, what is this COVID thing? You know what I mean? They're not like, yeah, I only have so much longer to live. You think I'm gonna stay home, locked in my room, like get food delivered, like what? So I can, you know, I mean, it's very interesting to me actually. But then you know, you have a whole segment of you know, um, that the baby boomers, right. Where, and, and they're kind of, you know, right at that age, you know, just turning into, you, you know, the sixties and seventies and sort of like looking at, um, how they feel about it. So it's, it is interesting. And like, it's, uh, it's different. I, um, I wondered what you thought about the hybrid events to where is that like, have you seen any of that? Is that successful? Is it super too complicated for anyone to try to do where you have like the virtual going on as well as the in-person? Um, so kind of the, the short answer is that um, there's the, the, uh, the result of what's happening now sort of fills into three buckets. One, where people are not doing their events because they're waiting for the opportunity to do their event as it was um, what we call BC. <laughs> is that, wait, wait, are you saying denial that they're in denial? That the, Possibly, or, <laughs> and I don't know if they're in denial. Um, they certainly haven't gone through the acknowledgement piece we were talking about earlier, but they're certainly under the covers, right? They're like, this is, this yeah. is gonna, there's gonna be a point in which people are gonna be sick and tired of doing all the social distancing and the mask. And they're just simply gonna be like, you know what? There's a risk. There's people that are gonna get sick. We just need to, we just need to go back to the way it was. Now, personally, I would tell you, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily gonna happen. I don't think that there's, and, and, and if it does, I don't think that it's any time within possibly our lifetime. I think it's going to take, you know, years, decades before things look like anything like before. 
But oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right now, Pierre, all the people you, you are going to crawl under the covers now with that statement. Yeah, They're gonna probably. Be like right. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so the reality is, is for you to crawl under the covers, it, it just, it, you know, power to the people that are deciding to do that, whether it's individuals or brands or, or, or businesses. But it just it just simply is to me is not the is is not the most ideal move because you're going to be waiting a long time before you can pull off, you know, your your event the way that it was before COVID. Um, the second sort of um, what's come out is people that are doing strictly virtual events, you know, where you're taking your event and saying, how do we take the contact piece out and make it completely virtual? And that's where, you know, you're like the platform that we're using now and Zoom and, and video calling. And, and, and now you've got the emergence of these companies that have traditionally done um, uh, technology uh, uh, heavy type of events that are kind of now like living in, in their dream world. Because <laughs> all those businesses and events and companies that are used to doing that are now deciding to do that. And, and they've got their you know, they've got their work cut out for themselves. So, um, you know, we produce an event called LeaderCast, which is um, the world's largest leadership conference. And the way they do it is they do it out of Atlanta and then they sell the licensing rights to cities all around the world to host the event. So we're like a licensee down here in the Barry Houston area. And um, this event has been going on for 17 years. And so this company has been producing this type of technology forward event for years. And now they're seeing basically everything go sort of, not everything, but for the most part, a, a big chunk of that go in that direction of this virtual only event. Um, but, you know, the, the, the challenge there is going to be to figure out when you're doing a virtual event, what are the elements of the in-person event that people really value? If somebody pays you a hundred bucks to go to a conference, what elements of that hundred dollar ticket um, are derived from the in-person experience? You know, whether it's the lunch that you get to have or no, ch no chicken, no chicken lunch there. Where's my uh... cor correct. And so, um, you know, so that's kind of where, where the, the work is cut out for, for those folks in that middle bucket that say, Hey, like, okay, we're going to go completely all virtual and we're going to figure out a way to try to deliver as much value. But then what you ultimately end up with is you don't end up with a hundred dollar ticket. You probably have to go with the $50 ticket. That's, that's cheaper because you're not able to deliver some of those in-person elements. And so somebody's not going to pay you a hundred bucks for something that they could go get in person, you know? And so, um, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what that for us, what that what I've seen that second bucket look like. And then the third and last bucket has been um, what you're talking about, which is a hybrid event. And this notion of saying, why don't we address both the market or the consumer that says I'm ready to go to an in-person event and take all the safety precautions that go along with it and then also address the folks that are like, nope, not going to do it. I'm going to stay at home. But I do want to add value to, to, to myself and I want to participate in these things. And so let me figure out a way to do it virtually. And so from the event production side, this hybrid event is kind of the, the best of both worlds, right? Where you're able to bring in um, the in-person element and then also have the virtual piece. Um, that probably is the most work out of the three buckets. Certainly the bucket where you go under your covers is the least amount of work because you just sort of like riding out the storm, waiting for this thing to go back to normal. And then we'll see you when you come out of hibernation. Which could, which um, could, which could be January 1st, 2021, according to some people that have talked. About according it. to some people, it could be January 1st. They truly believe this will all be over this year and, or they're just positive no. thinkers, right? Look at that. And that's, and that's great. But <laughs> Um, so, but the third bucket is where the most amount of work is because you're having to sort of, um, deploy your, your, your playbook for the event in person with the, um, added layers of social distancing mask and whatever, you know, precautions are in place that come from the local governing authority that come from the venue where you're having it at, um, that come within the jurisdiction of where you're at. And then that, you know, one of the factors that takes into place is what kind of event you're having, you know. And so um, if you if you have a lot of networking events where you're doing, you know, what's that, what they call that kind of business speed networking thing where you're exchanging cards and shaking hands and doing that, 
um, you know, that's got a lot more contact than a general conference where you're going to see somebody, right? And you're not necessarily being asked to necessarily shake hands and exchange things. And let me give you my card and here's my card. And there's all these kind of exchanges where you're touching stuff. Um, so, you know, the, the, the makeup of the event also plays into how much work you're going to have to do into deploying that, that live in-person, you know, book, but then you've got to take all of that work and you got to say, now, how do we deploy it virtually? And then, um, for hybrid events, you also have to think about, do I want to do the in-person event and stream it or broadcast it live? Um, at, at the same time as it's happening, what do we do within those gaps whenever there's an in-person component that doesn't necessarily apply to the person that's watching it from home? Like lunch, for example, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to stream in a day-long conference, people just eating there while the person is at home watching that. Um, and so you've got to think about how that plays out. Uh, what I have seen is, is, you know, kind of this, this type of hybrid event where, you have access to attend the event in person and you're able to see maybe one or two, like maybe the keynote speaker or maybe the most important piece of the element uh, of the event that you can see live. Um, but then the rest of the conference, the breakout sessions, um, the virtual shopping, any of those things that are attached to it, the informational seminars are basically um, what, what they end up doing as an on-demand feature so that um, you know, the reason Netflix is so, so powerful and has grown so much is because it puts the power to be able to choose what you want to watch on the consumer end, right? Versus what the TV set wants to play at that programming time um, or what we're used to calling linear TV. And so um, when you think about attending an event, what if you attended a conference, a leadership conference where you got to see your favorite keynote speaker live, just like everybody else in that person. And then everything else you could go and see for the next seven days on your own time, figure out, carve out maybe an hour or two of your day for the next week on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, attend the breakout sessions, the workshops, do the virtual shopping, get your own shopping code and to be able to go and see the exhibitors or talk to some of the sponsors. Um, and so that's sort of kind of the direction that we're going with within our in-house events is, creating kind of a, something that delivers something in, of an in-person uh, 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 element, but then also adds an, uh, a layer of on-demand or in-demand um, access. And that for us has been kind of the ideal um, uh, sort of spot to land in when it, terms to, when it comes to not biting off more than what we can chew because pulling off a virtual event and an in-person event, in other words, a hybrid event in which you're doing both at the same time is a lot of work. And what I was, I just had a conversation last week with a client that um, they're doing a, a, a big a big conference here at, at, at South Shore and um, they, um, they're doing it in March, but they wanna do this, be able to do it live. And the person, if they can't come, for whatever reason, they can just watch the whole thing all day, you know, from their house. Um, you know, and I told them, I said, it's it's doable. It's going to cost you more money, but it's doable. But just know that if something goes wrong and with technology and the Internet and all these things, <laughs> if things go wrong and you have a 500 person event and and 200 are at your at your place in person and the other 300 are virtual you good luck trying to uh, you know appease 300 people that are hacked off because they can't access it they can't get the code their streamers not their their browsers not working they got a virus windows decided to do an update and there's all these things of which some of them are your fault some of them are your fault are not but at the end of the day i just i just wouldn't sign up for that Kind of had it, that kind of that kind of risk that comes with a huge headache that ultimately leaves you with these 300 people that are just not happy with the experience that they have and that can happen too in an in-person event but i don't know i've always just been of the philosophy that man if i have the person in front of me i'm not going to get it right 100 percent of the time but when i don't i can go to that person and apologize and make amends and figure out how i can make it right for them it's just a, a lot more harder to be able to do that with 300 people that are in 300 different different spaces. Yeah. So if you did it all virtual, though, you'd still kind of have that challenge, right, Pierre? 
you would have that challenge, but all of your energy that you're using to do the in-person event is not being utilized in the in-person event because you're doing all virtual. And so basically when we're looking at all virtual events, the team that you're bringing in or that you're, whether it's us or whatever production company you hire, that's all they're doing. And so you build basically a help desk that depending on the size of your event, but for a 500 person team, you're going to build out about five to six people. So about a hundred to one ratio of basically five people that are just sitting there waiting for somebody to chat with, to call them, to chat them, to send them a text, to send them an IM. And whether it's a 65 year old lady that doesn't know how to open Chrome to an advanced young professional that is having an issue with their browser, um, they're going to have somebody that can attend to that. And so, you know, the, the, the infrastructure of the event is built out to be able to address that. Yeah, that's interesting because I also wonder how that's all going to play out with the costs. Because certainly if you're, um, if you're just going to transfer your in-person event to a virtual event, like you are going to be missing things like the, the like the chicken lunch or the whatever and uh, or the the opportunity to network. How do you create that virtually for these people right. or do you lessen the cost? I mean, right. so that people don't feel like, wait a minute, you charged me this for, you know, us to be at this fancy hotel, you know, this X amount of money. And now you're doing all this online. And I don't know if people just kind of start to get distrust for that, like that you're that it's the same price, like if they they're do. not really understanding where the difference in the in the money went you know they do 100 they 100 don't i mean we've seen it already with projects that we've worked on and and um you know informally we've we've you know surveyed folks and they're like no su such and such person um i i can remember who they were talking but somebody kind of like an oprah like a tony robbins and stuff was doing a thing and you know they typically charge you know 2500 dollars for their big weekend long seminar that's going to change your life forever you go to miami and it gets you know and and you get to do all these kinds of fun exercises and then you get to see the speaker and you get to do all the stuff and now they had gotten an invitation to do it virtually and it was the same price and they were like uh no i'm not like i'm not in miami i'm not getting to do all these things i'm not in this arena with ten thousand people and so um, there is something to be, that's not everybody, but there yeah. are, there is a segment of the population that does not believe that a virtual event can, can cost the same as an in-person event, just because the numbers in their head simply don't make sense, regardless of whether the company on the production side says, Hey, we're not spending 10 grand on production on site, but we're going to spend that 10,000 on the infrastructure of the virtual event to deliver the most immersive experiences possible. It, people just don't buy that. They're, yeah. they're, maybe they will in the future um, or in the next couple of years as we evolve into understanding the power of what, how much virtual events can deliver the same, if not more value if you do them right. But on the consumer end, people aren't there yet. They aren't there yet. Yeah, yoga on uh, on Zoom is not the same as yoga on the, on the beach in Miami, I'm sure. It's totally correct. different. That is correct. <laughs> the the morning yoga before they get into their classes yeah um, <laughs> yeah so okay this is this is a really good chat i feel like we've talked about a lot of stuff i just wanted to see if you could touch a little bit on the power of social media um with all of this like are people overwhelmed by media or i feel like people are using media more than more than ever now because they're home and they are looking at things it's just i wonder if they're looking at things differently now um you know, so we just had a, um, I just went to, a, a, it was a virtual workshop and um, the, the, the speaker was talking about this sort of the, the way that storytelling um, evolves in, in this, has evolved in the social media world. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that we did as, as um, marketing coaches, consultants, when Facebook and, and what was sort of kind of in, in the adoption phase and in the, in the phase where it had been out for maybe four or five years and, you know, not the mass market had adopted, you know, Facebook came out as a, as a college, you know, thing. It was only for people that were in college and you can only sign up with your, your, your email had to be a .edu extension. And, 
you know, I was I was at, I was in school at the time. I was at the University of Houston. I got my degree in broadcast journalism. And so um, I was one of the early onset adopters oh. <laughs> of, of what well, at that point it was called the Facebook. Now it's just called Facebook. Um, but so I had I, I had an account on the Facebook and the only way it could be verified was if you signed up using your um, college.edu account and then they would send you the verification to that and that's how you could activate the the, the account the, but the Facebook uh, that's how you activated the Facebook that's how you activated the <laughs> Facebook um, and so but what was interesting is um, you know about four or five years into that you know people were people really looked business owners looked at Facebook as this opportunity to do free advertising. And when you think about advertising, you mostly think about driving sales. You don't necessarily think of um, of storytelling. And when you think about storytelling for for business owners or for marketers, they think of PR. You know, they're like, "Are we going to get some? We're going to get a, a a free story ran in in the Chronicle or in the paper and the local. They're going to come out. The local reporter is going to come out and do a story on us. That's free publicity. That's PR. That's an opportunity for us to tell our story." Um, and so then when, when, when Facebook and social media really kind of began to take mass market um, adoption, um, you know, people weren't deploying that strategy of storytelling or what we would consider PR. They were really, they were really adopting that platform as a way to sell. Um, and so the interesting thing is, is that Facebook, in order to survive, has implemented platforms to be able to sell but the actual organic um, uh, 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 platform itself of your business page or your personal page is really meant, um, we believe that it's meant for storytelling. It's meant for, it, it, it can be used for you to tell um, or for you to tell people things that you're selling at your shop or services that you provide or asking folks to get a quote for your local insurance agency, whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, it's 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 a social media platform in which you use to consume and watch pictures of your niece and nephew and their birthday and the graduation party of your brother and the celebration. Of, that is what we go and look on there for. And that that same exact sort of formula applies to brands. We don't want necessarily a brand to sell to us on Facebook on our newsfeed. Um, because that's kind of just, it just feels intrusive, right? And so um, are there ways to sell on social media? Yes, 100%, absolutely. But those, those strategies typically work best when they're complemented with a storytelling strategy of being able to kind of carry the relationship and say, meet our employee of the month, John Doe, you know, he likes, you know, such and such, and he likes long walks at Miami Beach, and he likes to go to, you know, to this place, and blah, blah, blah and his favorite author is, you know, Stephen King or whatever. Um, storytelling is a way for you to grow your brand um, in a way that, that, that people sort of begin to build a relationship. And, um, and social media is a great way to do that without the consumer necessarily having to be on your, on your turf. And so, um, I, I think that sort of formula is more important now than ever before because we've been limited to being able to be at businesses location, whether it's by capacity or because they're closed or whatever. But, um, you know, I've seen examples of companies that had to close because they were deemed non-essential, but they were continuing to update and put stuff on social media. And that was storytelling because it certainly wasn't a call to action to come and buy for them. They were closed. You couldn't. But they were talking about what they were doing. They were talking about um, the guy that came to sanitize the place. They were talking about, you know, the, how they were redoing their tables because they were closed. And so they were bringing in some of the staff to go and clean and get gum from under the tables and just finding just creative ways to, to, to stay engaged and relevant with people that doesn't necessarily equate to saying, come and buy from us. Um, and so, you know, to, to a degree, it's been kind of kind of fun and, and, and exciting to see the way some of these some some of these companies have really leveraged that opportunity where they've been, you know, sort of, you know, they've been forced to not operate from a business perspective, but still operate from a brand story perspective. 
Um, and, and, you know, Corona again, kind of maybe unfortunately, but it's, it's made us have to do that. Um, and social media is, is, is kind of the, the, the front and center platform that, um, is, is, is allowing us to be able to do that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's a lot. I hadn't thought about that. So the storytelling is still there. It was there before and it's still there now. It's just, so you feel like social media, as far as you telling your story, it's still the same. It's just be thoughtful of that, that it's not just like, Hey, you know, uh, we haven't really ever advertised our product online. We're jumping on Facebook. Maybe you think about how you tell that story. That's interesting that you say that because I know quite a few businesses did a lot of very interesting things when they were closed to try to keep those employees employed and um, uh, just sort of be creative uh, as to how to do it. But okay, do you want to do the legal skinny rundown with me? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. So beach or mountains? Beach. Elvis or the Beatles? Elvis. Most influential book you've read? I know you read a lot, so. Oh, that's a good one. Most influential book. Um, I just finished um, Great Leaders Ask Great Questions by John Maxwell. Um, and so I, 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 would, I would say um, maybe th that's one of my favorite um, books. Um, but let me just expand to say that John Maxwell is probably one of my, my favorite authors. So I'll leave it at that. All right. So dead or alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Ooh, I should have read these before. Ah, <laughs> dead or alive. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know if, 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 um, if you, if you, if you're going to have any, um, uh, uh, listeners from, uh, that are Hispanic or, or Latino, but there is this artist called Celia Cruz and she was kind of an, an icon she recorded um, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive in Spanish. Uh, but, but that was just one of the things that she did. Another thing that she did, she, she had a very successful career, you know, singing salsa Latin music. And so um, anyway, she was one of the few people that had a tribute done while she was alive. Because, you know, most tributes are done after the person passes away. And um, anyway, she just, uh, she was a person that, that I think, uh, had had sort of a large personality, kind of like me. Maybe I connect with her in that regard, but I think brought a lot of joy to to people all over the world with with her music and her spirit. And so that's probably somebody I would I would love to have dinner with. Very cool. I do love I Will Survive. I like the cake version though. Uh, I have to send you the version she recorded. It's in Spanish. But the other interesting thing is is there's a video on YouTube when they did the the tribute. And, and at the tribute, Gloria Gaynor sang the first half of I Will Survive as she sings it in English. And the other half, she sang it in Spanish the way that Celia Cruz had recorded it. Oh, it was, it was, I love that. It was that. amazing. It like, it just, you watch it and like brings you goosebumps and it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, you'll have to share that with me. I love it. I will. Okay, so finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on... Uh, either launching an event or product successfully, or at least uh, the party, uh, the party going on forever. <laughs> um, I, I would say probably, you know, the one of the biggest things I, I always tell folks is, um, you know, focus, focus first on what the consumer experience needs to look like. And then second on all the work that's going to be required to be able to do that. Um, but at the same time, you got to you got to think about both, you know, because on the first end, you don't want to you don't want to think about just the work that's going to require on your end to pull it off because because that's just that's kind of just self-serving or a little bit selfish. But it's important for you to think about that because you don't want to either you want to under promise and over deliver. You don't want to bite off more than what you can chew. And so in that regard, it's important to think about that second element. But the first, to me, the most important element is, is what is the person going to, what is, what, are, what do I want the person to experience when they come to my event, to my seminar, to my party, to my celebration? Uh, what are the outcomes of th that experience? What does that need to look like? And, and, and I think it, it just merits for you to really be thoughtful about sort of creating that almost kind of like, like a piece of art um, so that everything you build is focused around the person experiencing it, not what's my budget, 
and this is what I have and I don't want to spend this or I have to do it at this place. And, you know, we're kind of where I see typical conversations start, which is very much on the what do I have to do with it? Like, you know, it starts with me versus what's the experience that I'm trying to create for the other person or for the consumer end. Hopefully that was under a minute. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, don't even worry about it. I love it anyway. You you bring such good stuff. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can um, call or text. Text. I am such a texter. Um, and I don't know if it's because I'm a millennial, but my phone number is 281-935-0656. Um, or they can email me as well at Pierre, my name. You can see it right there on the screen at topstarmarketing.com. Anyway, so thanks again, Pierre. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so much, Trisha. And that's the legal skinny on The Party Never Ends. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also, check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also, disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.